Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. It was about 10 or 11 years ago at Christmas, and I came home and noticed that there was a large box in front of our Christmas tree. And I stood at a distance and I wondered, what could that be? I knew it wasn't for Avery. And I knew that John Hunter, as an infant, it did not belong to him. Vicky and I were not in the habit of giving each other Christmas presents. What was this surprise? And as I approached it, a big smile broke out on Vicky's face, and suddenly the top flew open, and a little short girl with curls popped out of the box and yelled, Surprise! And it is a Christmas gift that I will never forget. And I'll have to admit, in full disclosure, As I got closer to the box, I heard giggling, and I saw the box wiggling a little bit. So I had an idea that Avery might be inside, but it was a wonderful, surprising gift. And so we come to the manger this morning, and there's a surprise. We've talked about the animals of Advent. We mentioned the shepherds abiding in the fields, watching over the sheep and how Jesus is not only the greater shepherd, but He is the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. We discussed the doves that needed to be sacrificed for Mary and Joseph's impurity and how Jesus is the greater sacrifice. Last night in the Christmas Eve service, an animal that we don't anticipate being at the nativity scene, a reptile is the serpent that Jesus had to be born in order to crush the head of the snake. And then there's one more surprising animal that we find in our nativity. And we don't see it often much like the snake, but this animal is there. And that's the lion. It's the lion of Judah. Jesus. And so in our text this morning, in Revelation, there's also another surprise. There is the, there is the lion. And all its power, and all its glory, representing authority, and kingship, and victory, Who is going to unroll the scroll? Who can redeem God's people? Who can provide salvation? And John sees the Lion of Judah, but wait, there's a surprise. Because as he looks closer, he sees the slain Lamb. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the gift that is Your Son. 
We thank you for the truth that we so desperately need. We thank you for the healing that you give to us through Christ. Lord, help us to hear nothing but you this morning. Remove all the busyness of the Christmas season. Bring us to the manger and help us to see the Christ child and Him only. Forgive the one who speaks. Set me aside as you and you alone speak to our hearts this morning. Amen. There are three things that I want us to understand from Revelation chapter 5 this Christmas morning. They are victory, hope, and forgiveness. Victory, hope, and forgiveness. Like most of Revelation, in order to understand it, you have to have a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament. So Revelation is Hebrew apocalyptic literature. It is filled with imagery. And so to be well situated in the Old Testament, and in particular the minor prophets, for example, Zechariah, you come to a better understanding of, the, of what you are reading in Revelation. And so, it's important to go to Genesis chapter 49, 8 through 12, because it gives us clarity, and it roots what John is mentioning, and gives us a deeper and fuller understanding. So if you will... Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 49, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 12. Now, I want to give you some background before we jump into this passage. It'll give you a second to find your way there. The end of Genesis is about Joseph. Moses is trying to help the Israelites as they are nearing their entry into the promised land he wants them to better understand how God has blessed them, how God has redeemed them, where they came from in light of the other nations that they are going to encounter, and that their God is the one true God amongst all gods. And so at the very end of Genesis, the focus is on Joseph, and that makes sense because Joseph explains how Israel ended up in Egypt and how God redeems the people of Israel from Egypt and from slavery. So he's the main character. He's the focus at the end. But then there's a slight surprise, as we've already mentioned this morning. Jacob is blessing his sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And notice what he says to Judah. Judah. Again, a twist. Chapter 49, beginning with verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? 
The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice wine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. What is this communicating? How do we understand this? What does this passage mean? Jacob is telling Judah that you, that from your lineage is going to come a great king. And that he is going to bring about the kingdom of God. The Lion of Judah. Lion are they're powerful animals. Did a little research on this. The lion was once a dominant animal in the ancient Middle East. By the time of the Crusades, they were largely extinct. But in biblical times, there were powerful lions roaming the land. The apex predator. The thing that struck fear in the hearts of God's people. That's why the imagery of the lion is mentioned so often in the Old Testament. And we know that one of the descendants of Judah is David. And he had a son and his name was Solomon. And his throne had, according to the Word of God, lions carved into it. Lions are kingly imagery because of their power. And so Jacob is telling Judah, not Joseph, that from you, from your sons, will come the scepter. And all people will bow down to you. You will be a king of great wealth. That's what it means when it talks about garments washed in wine. That does not make sense on the surface because if you've ever done laundry, you would know that wine rarely comes out of clothes. So why would someone wash their clothes in red wine, in Merlot, if you will? And the answer is, it's the imagery of wine is so plentiful in our kingdom that we can wash clothes in it. Think about how wine is served at Christmas dinner and it's a privilege and it's special and it's expensive. What is being said in Genesis is as the king, Judah, you are going to have so much power and so much wealth that you will be able to do your laundry in wine. And so we understand who Jesus is as the Lion of Judah in light of Genesis chapter 49. He is the one with all the power. He is the one who has the scepter. He is the one who has all of the wealth. And so when Jesus, when John 
is given the vision on the island of Patmos and he is given a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. He sees the fulfillment of Jesus as the conquering king. Only Jesus can open up the stroll because the tiny child that's born in the manger is the Lion of Judah through his faithful ministry and obedience to the Father. Because he is born without sin, because he is faithful to the covenant, because he is perfect in all of his ways, Jesus achieves victory. He is the king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the only one who can open the scroll, meaning this is the list of those who have been redeemed by my sacrifice, by my life. I am the gift that secures your salvation. Only I can open this up. Only I can look at this. Only Jesus can read the names. And so... It is truly a wonderful thing and a heartwarming message on Christmas morning to know that He is the Lion of Judah. Our King. But John looks at Him further. And he also sees the the Lamb who was slain for us. In other words, the only truly acceptable sacrifice for our sins. And then John says that Jesus is worthy. He's worthy. That the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God is worthy of our worship. That if you think about the imagery that is taking place in heaven and Revelation chapter 5, it is a beautiful and awe-inspiring and life-changing worship service before King Jesus. Which is exactly what we are doing here this morning. We have come into His presence and we are worshiping Him and in a way in which we cannot fully understand it at all. We are joining with all other believers around the world through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because of our union in Christ in worship. And we are also joining hands with all of the saints that have gone before us and all of the angels in the throne room of heaven who are now bowing down before Him in praise. Because... Jesus is worthy of worship. There is no other thing that we can do today that is more important than what we are doing right now. We're worshiping the risen King. We are sincerely lifting our hearts up to Him. We are admitting our need for Him. Why is He worthy of worship? Three reasons. Look at verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. What a beautiful statement at Christmas. 
weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Genesis 49 tells us there's going to be a king and he's going to come from Judah and he's going to be powerful like a lion in the ancient Middle East. He is going to be wealthy and we fast forward to Revelation and here he is, the son of Mary, the root of David. And what has he done? He's conquered. He's conquered. And he sits on the throne of grace in victory. Having redeemed us and enabled us to enter into fellowship with the Father and Himself and the Holy Spirit. Now and forever. And so what does victory mean for us? What does it mean that we are victorious? Because I would say that more often than not, I don't feel victorious. And the reason for that is because we still live in a fallen world and the kingdom of righteousness has not come in all its fullness. And so we think about all the problems and the issues that we face day in and day out, and we think about all the problems and issues in this world, and it can be frustrating. But the truth of matter, according to the Word of God, is that victory belongs to us, so that in our darkest hour, we cling to the Word of God, we cling to the promises of God, we are reminded that even though we can't see it perfectly, we've won. Because Jesus is for us, and Jesus has redeemed us, and we have been resurrected from the dead. Victory is ours. Isn't that a beautiful and isn't that a wonderful truth? If you know anything about World War I, there's a fascinating story on Christmas Day about how the English in the trenches in the worst possible place in the most awful time in the most challenging of circumstances hear the Germans singing Silent Night across the other side of no man's land. And they begin to sing back in English. And eventually, a few brave souls from both sides meet, gather, they exchange Christmas treats, and they play soccer. And this happened in multiple locations across the front. I mean, that is hard to believe. There was peace. There was tranquility. But there was no victory. Because what happened the next day? They killed each other. 
They fought each other. And World War I was a brutal and bloody and awful thing. Jesus brings peace and victory and it lasts. And it's forever. And it belongs to us. Secondly, there is forgiveness. Look at verse 9 of chapter 5. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus did what Israel was supposed to do. He was a light to the nations. His gospel is for everyone. His grace is for everyone. And hear this, His forgiveness is for everyone. He was slain for us. So John is seeing the imagery of a lamb who has been slaughtered. That is brutal imagery. Bloody imagery. And through Revelation 5, the Lord is trying to help us understand who He is and what He has done for us and what that sacrifice means. And it means, for God's people, forgiveness. As I mentioned earlier in the worship service, it's a wonderful thing that we get to come here every Lord's Day and we need... We are reminded of the forgiveness that belongs to us. And because life is hard and life is difficult and life is challenging, marriages are not perfect, families are not perfect, work environments are not perfect, sin is an ever-constant, present reality. And it's hard to remember sometimes that the Lion of Judah, that the Lamb of God has given His life for me so that I will know forgiveness and I won't be ashamed. I need this reminder of forgiveness that we see in Revelation chapter 5. I need to be reminded that Jesus was, was slain for me because I have a tendency to try to save myself. I have a tendency to think that I am God. I forget my place. I forget that only Jesus can save me and that there is nothing that I can do apart from Him to please God. That I desperately need the blood of the cross to cleanse me, to wash me. I need that slain lamb. I need to see that lamb and all its gore so that I can see Jesus in all His glory. What a beautiful imagery that we see in the Gospels regarding the birth of Christ, the, the little child, the infant in Mary's arms, yet He is the one who is going to give His life for me. Forgiveness is everything for God's people. Because we will not get to experience the incredible 
worship that will take place in the presence of Christ for all eternity without it. What a tremendous gift. And then thirdly, hope. Verse 10. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. From Judah, from his descendants, will come this great king, and the scepter will rest at his feet. John is given a glimpse of the throne room in Revelation chapter 5, and he learns that humanity, that God's people will reign on earth. What does that mean? Wait. Won't we be in heaven forever? Heaven is simply transitionary for us. Because the promise of the coming of the kingdom is that the heavens and the earth will be renewed and recreated. And we will dwell on the earth forevermore as it was intended to be. So, think about Christmas morning as a child. The most magical day of the year. And I remember when my grandmother would leave and the presents were put away and the meal was finished the day was coming to an end, I remember how deflating that was. Because here comes December 26th. And nothing is like Christmas Day. Because the rest of the year doesn't add up to how special, special and incredible and wonderful this day is. And even as a child, it was like no more Christmas music. No more wonderful treats. Why does this have to end? Couldn't it be Christmas all year round? And what we see in Revelation chapter 5 is that Jesus is bringing His kingdom. And we will experience life apart from sin. We will experience life where Jesus reigns and rules over everything and everyone in perfection. It will be the way it's supposed to be forevermore. And so in some small sense, that feeling we have as a child at Christmas that this is the way things should be is insight into the longing of the human heart that things aren't right. That this world is a mess. And that even as a child, we can understand the brokenness in which we live that we think about Christmas Day in light of the other days of the year. And so John is telling us that when we enter into the kingdom, because we belong to Jesus the one who is worthy of worship, we will experience His peace and His joy and His love forever. And all of the troubles and struggles and issues that surround us 
will be gone. And there will be no more sin. And we will worship Him forevermore. And we can't even fully grasp how incredible and outstanding and unreal that worship will be. But what the Bible is telling us is everything will be perfect then. And so our Jesus, our King, the Lion of Judah, the slain Lamb is worthy of our worship this Christmas day because of the hope that He brings us through the manger, through the cross, and through the empty tomb. Let that warm your hearts this morning. Let's pray. Lion of Judah, Lamb of God, Son of God, Son of Man, we praise You. We thank You for the gift of victory and forgiveness and hope that only You can bring. May our worship be pleasing to You. And Lord, we pray that You would bring Your kingdom quickly so that we will know the perfection that You promise because of Your reign and rule as King forever. Father, may our focus this day be on all that You have done for us, the greatest gift. A sacrifice for Your people, a slain lamb. Be with us. Strengthen us. In Your Son's name, Father, we pray. Amen.